Welcome to episode 22 of the American Truck Driver Podcast. This one is about perspective. I uh, <clears throat> I was uh, I was working the other morning, and it kind of got me thinking about the last nine or ten months since uh, the engine failure that put me down, and uh, I wrote a piece uh, that I put in a Landstar group that I uh, that I'm in, and and it was kind of a message to Landstar drivers, but it's you know it, it's a message that kind of goes beyond uh, just being at Landstar, and um, so to give you a little context, so since uh, August I've been working for um, large multinational company hauling compressed gases, and basically the job is uh, you know it's local you know within a couple hundred miles home <clears throat> excuse me home every day and um but we haul these compressed gas cylinders on on pallets and so my job is to take them from the plant to a branch unload the truck reload the truck count everything and then come back to the plant and then i i work the rest of the day in the plant loading trucks for the next day so it's 12 hour shifts i get up at 1 45 in the morning to be at work at three and work till three thirty, and then it's about an hour drive home and uh you know so basically i'm i'm walking in the door taking a shower telling the kids good night and going straight to bed so as i was unloading my truck the other morning i think it was thursday morning and i was just tired you know this working on my fourth 12-hour days it's cold it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm thinking, man, I'd rather be driving 3,500 miles a week in a sleeper truck. Um, not necessarily because it's easier, because it's not really easier. We all know that. I mean, there's nothing really easy about running over the road. But there is kind of a quality of life while you're at work kind of thing, you know. Plus, you know, you have the freedom, uh, the, the money. Money's great. So, you know, it made me think about what I've been doing and, and kind of how I got here. And uh, so I wrote this piece, and I'm just going to kind of read it, and then I'll, I'll give some you know, commentary around it. So it begins, I offer this for anyone who needs to hear it. I was a, a BCO with Landstar from April of 2014 to April of 2017. A second engine failure in 16 months ended my career as an owner-operator. These are the lessons I've learned over the last nine months. Landstar wasn't the problem. The agents weren't the problem. The economy wasn't the problem. Revenue wasn't the problem. The government wasn't the problem. I was the problem. Just me. I had issues in my personal life that were bleeding cash. Instead of addressing them, I decided to work harder, earn more revenue to try to make up for it. This shouldn't be a surprise to anyone with an ounce of common sense, which is a superpower, but you can't out-earn your stupidity. You can drill one-inch holes in a five-gallon bucket and try to fill it with water. You can pour an ocean into it, and it will never be quenched. I scrambled around and got a job. I even worked for Swift for a month and lived to tell about it. I came home and landed a good job with a good company that has good benefits, and it's true that I'm home every day. My kids don't see me much more than they did when I was leased to Landstar and home on the weekends. 
I get up at 145 so I can be at work at 3. I pull a flatbed hauling pallets of compressed gases. I deliver to local branches where I unload and reload the trailer. Then return to the plant where I load trucks for the next day until 3.30 p.m. I usually make it home by 5 p.m. I shower, tell my kids goodnight, and go to bed. I'd much rather run 3,500 miles a week with a sleeper. It takes me two weeks to earn what I did in one at Landstar. I still haven't recovered financially. By the time the one-year anniversary of my engine failure, which was April 7th, I should be caught up and current on all my bills. Here's why I'm saying this. Now is the time. Today, not tomorrow. If you've got issues that need tending to, do it now. If you need to make adjustments to your savings plan, do it now. I should still be leased to you at to uh, Landstar or even have my own authority with a paid-for truck and trailer. It is a mathematical certainty. I've got over 500 pages of bank statements that prove it. At the very least, I should have a truck and trailer with a little debt and a plan to quickly pay off that debt and still be leased to Landstar making money. Finally, my best revenue numbers came in January of 2017. Y'all remember January 2017? It sucked, but I worked like an animal. The last three months before my engine blew were the most productive of my time at Landstar. The rate per mile wasn't all that pretty, but my 1099 for that three months will say $50,000. I was on track to have a 200000 plus gross revenue year pulling general freight with a drive van. I didn't make it because of the choices of the previous five years. $0.18 cents per mile would have paid for both engines plus everything else that was done to that truck in the time I had it. Now, obviously, um, I know now that putting two engines in a medium-mile truck wouldn't make sense over the long term. I'm just making a mathematical observation based on what happened in my situation. You're at Landstar. The tools are all there. The freight is there. The money is there. You are the most important ingredient. I've experienced the frustration and know what it's like to think, you know what, screw this. I'll just go home and get a job. Well, the grass is greener on the other side because it's fertilized with manure. Maybe I'll get back. Maybe I won't. There are a lot of moving parts. But know this. If I get back, y'all watch out because I'm going to be a money-making and saving fool. Uh, so a couple things about that. <clears throat> I really feel like, you know, I, I was with Landstar almost three years to the day. Uh, I think my hire date was uh, April 21st, 2014. My engine blew up on April 7th. I had just signed my new three-year contract. And I feel like I really didn't have it figured out until the end. You know, I, I kind of came up with my own little formula that I used for picking freight because, again, freight – Availability. The market was just horrible in January of 2017. But somehow, uh, I managed to be home, I think, all but one weekend and ran $50,000 through my truck in a quarter. Um, I don't care who you are, what you're doing, $50,000 in a quarter is pretty good money. Um, you know, the problem is I was just so far behind. Um, and I guess I need to make a note here for the 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 two months before that three months there was a time in 2016 where i literally believed and and i didn't i didn't come to this understanding until after uh, all everything went down and i started literally digging into 
500 pages of bank statements. You ought to see the look on the girl's face at the bank when I went in. I said, hey, can you print me out some bank statements? And she was like, yeah. She's like, well, what, what do you need? And I said, uh, 2014, 2015, and 2016. And she looked at me like I had three heads. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. I've got some research to do. So she, you know, she sent them to me, and, and I printed them out, and I put them in a three-ring binder, and I started going through them with a highlighter and a pencil and making spreadsheets and looking at how much was spent on this and how much was spent on that and, you know, what, what, was, the, what was the rate per mile – or not, excuse me, rate per mile. What was the cost per mile? What, what, what was the savings plan needed um, so that – you know, when those engines went down, I wasn't, you know, completely broke and destitute. And the fact of the matter, the money was there. But because I wasn't taking care of the stuff at home and, uh, and, and I wasn't controlling the spending, you know, there's so much cash flow when you're an owner-operator. I mean, you, you know, it, it's nothing to have two or $3,000 a week rolling through your, uh, your bank account. You know, and if you get lazy, you get jaded or, you know, you get comfortable and you're not thinking about what you're doing. Well, that money will disappear real, real quick. So. I, but in, in 2016, I had just got to this point where I felt like I was spinning my wheels. I wasn't getting anywhere. Now, the reality is that I look back now at the revenue numbers. I was making all kinds of money. But because it was leaving so fast. I felt like I was wasting my time being on the road. I was wasting my time being away from home. I, I, I couldn't I – just, I, I just completely lost control of everything that I was doing. And so I, I had actually quit. You know, I didn't pull my lease, but I parked the truck for two months at the end of 2016 and um, had put it up for sale, and it, it didn't sell. And, uh, you know, I'd looked at doing some stuff around home. And – I got to the end of December. I think it was December 27th, and I'm like, look, this is crazy. I've got a truck. I'm leased to Landstar. I need to just go out and start pounding pavement and uh, and putting mile markers in my pocket and, and, and letting her eat. And, and that's what I did. And for, for you know, three months, maybe I did. I, I, was, I was working like crazy. I was making crazy money. Um, I, I still had the fundamental issues there. But I felt like, okay, hey, I've I finally kind of figured out how to get this system to make me money. And then, you know, that fateful morning in April, and I'm sitting there with a boat anchor, and I'm done. So attitude is so important, you know, and I really – I want to reiterate. I'm going to go back here and look. I want to say this part one more time. Landstar wasn't the problem. The agents weren't the problem. The economy wasn't the problem. Revenue wasn't the problem. The government wasn't the problem. ELDs wasn't the problem. There were no problems but the guy behind the wheel. That was the only problem. You know, in in three years of, of, of being leased to Landstar, I had two... Well, three, kind of two and a half. We'll call it three, and I'll, and I'll explain. I had three issues with an agent. All right, the first time was completely my fault. Uh, I got book happy. 
uh, because when you, when you get to Landstar and you get all that freedom, and you can just book these loads out into infinity, and you just you feel, hey, I mean, I'm 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 covered up for the rest of the week, and then one of the load cancels, and you're you know in the middle, and so you know, man, I I think I started out in West Virginia, going down through, uh, you know, Virginia and out to uh, out to Texas, and I think back to Pennsylvania, I had all these loads planned out. Well, one of them in the middle fell apart. And I scrambled around, and I placed that one, and I got to, like, the, the next to the last load I was supposed to pick up in Houston. No, excuse me, San Antonio. I was in Austin. And they had told me it was a dropping hook, and I got held up at the receiver in Austin, and I ran out of hours. Well, it, I just assumed in my head, and we all know how to break down the word assume. Uh, if you don't, it makes an ass out of you and me. Uh I just thought, well, hey, it's dropping hook. I'll still get there by the time. Uh, so I just emailed the agent, went to bed, turned my phone off. Well, I woke up, and there were voicemails, and there were emails, and this guy was screaming and cussing. He was mad. And basically because I didn't call. I should have called, and I didn't. So uh, I called the guy and told him who I was. And he began to yell, and I said, hey, listen, stop. I, I apologize. Completely my fault. 100%. Uh, that was on me. I absolutely did that wrong, and, and I apologize. And the guy's tune instantly changed, and he was like, oh, well, in that case, if you have anything, call me. The uh, the second time, I picked up this little short load that literally went like 50 miles. And it had a uh, it had some kind of accessorial pay on it for layover. Well, when I picked it up, the shipper or the receiver one, they were like, hey, you can go ahead and go over there and deliver it. So it was like 40 miles. So I just went over and delivered it, and I was done and scanned my paperwork and checked out with the agent. Well, the next day, the guy called me. He's like, hey, I can't pay that layover. I'm like, what are you talking about? I was on the rate. And he was like, well, but you didn't lay over. Like, you went straight over there and delivered it. So you didn't technically lay over, so I can't pay the layover. Well, I was I was mad. I was irate. And I'm like, dude, this is wrong. So I stood on it for about a day, and I called him back. And I said, listen, we need to talk about this again because I, I really feel like I'm getting screwed here. And the guy finally said, he said, listen, I don't have third-party freight. Every piece of freight you guys haul from me is direct customer. So these are my people. These are my customers. And when he said that, it changed my attitude because I'm like, okay, so this guy's not just grabbing junk, crap freight, third-party stuff from other people's boards. He's actually going out and seeking these customers, and he's going out and trying to find these people and i respected that i still didn't like the fact that i didn't get the hundred bucks or whatever it was i thought i was owed but i understood it now the third time and final time i ever had a problem with an agent was um this guy i have a local agent here close to home and they they book these loads out of this direct customer all the time and um i go I, i call him up he's got a load i get the freight bill and I go to pick up the load. Might well back up. I, I hadn't got there yet. I called the guy. I said, hey, I'm on my way in. And he goes, dude, that load's gone. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's gone. I, you know, I'm the guy. And he said, another Landstar driver came in here and got it. So I called my agent. Come to find out, we had this dirt bag agent. And they are, they, they're out there. There are dirt bag Landstar agents. This dirt bag was somehow finding my agent's loads somehow and he would post them on the board 
but he would post them loading in a different city. And he would say, oh, well, yeah, I've got it posted out of Madison, but it actually loads out of, you know, here. Um, and he would, so he would basically send drivers over to steal my agent's freight. And it happened two or three times. And, I, you know, so we finally got the guy taken care of. But this idea that agent, you know, if you fail, the agents are the fault. No. The agents are not your scapegoat. You can't just blame everything on the agents and say, you know, uh, you know, I failed because of the agents. I failed because of me. Okay? I, the guy in the mirror. The idiot behind the wheel. That That's the reason I failed. There, there's there's nobody to blame. There's, there's no, you know, I guess it'd be nice if I had an agent or Landstar or, you know, somebody I could blame, but I can't, you know? So you... Uh, And I'll say this, too, about about agents, and I, I would assume this is probably the same way if you're, like, you know, a, an owner-operator running the spot market. Have I called agents and smelled goofy and stupid on them when I talked to them and was like, okay, no, no thanks, never mind, I'll, I'll pass. You know, you, you can't tell me where it's picking up and what time you don't know you got to call something? Nah. So, I mean, you have, you have the ability to kind of figure out if somebody's going to do you dirty. So, um, so that's it for that. I, I, I wanted to put that out there because it's important. Well, it's important for me, partially, partially for me to say it out loud. Uh, but also, you know, I got a lot of good feedback out of this post that I put in this Landstar group because, you know, we can get spoiled and 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 um, and and not really think about how good we've got it when we've got it and i had it pretty good i had it real good and uh, and i screwed it up so i believe that's it for that the other thing that i wanted to say i had a interesting um conversation with a guy yesterday who was a fleet owner and we were talking about elds now on this very podcast a few episodes back i i gave my opinion on ELDs and I'm and I made the statement, hey, it didn't change my life. I don't know what y'all are whining about. Well, the question came up last week when I was talking with Pete about the blockchain and how it's going to affect the industry. And I asked the question, okay, is these rates that we're seeing right now that are just crazy, are we in inappropriately or incorrectly giving credit to or blaming the ELDs? Is, is there some other economic force at play, and we're just scapegoating the ELD? And I didn't believe so because my own personal experience, my life didn't change. Well, talking to this guy yesterday, I realized how wrong I was. See, you know, back in 2007, before really anybody was using ELD but Warner, Schneider put us on a 14-hour on clock. So I was kind of pre-programmed to get my stuff done in that 14-hour time period. So when I moved to an ELD, true, my life didn't change all that much, okay? But if you went back to the early 2000s when I was crossing the country in three days, you know, from Tennessee to California, believe on Sunday night, get out there Wednesday afternoon, drop and hook and come back, and 4,300 miles in five days, well, there's no way on planet Earth that that's legal. And I didn't think about the probably what, 
60, 70, 80% of the industry that's been running like that still because they don't have electronic tattletales like I have for 10 years. They don't have anybody watching over their shoulder. All they got to do is avoid the DOT and not get caught. But they're still running the freight that way. And this guy made me understand, hey, these guys that have been running three-day loads in two days and four-day loads in three days, they are they're getting they're getting hammered right now and not only are they getting hammered but the customers are getting hammered uh, hammered because the customers are realizing hey where's this freight it's not showing up on time like it used to and and he also brought about this point okay think about this this is bizarre this is crazy the hard deadline for ELDs is in April right right now they're enforcing but they're not you know they won't shut you down they'll just write you a ticket well, come April, if you if they catch you and you don't have an ELD in your truck, they're going to park you until you put one in. So it's hard to tell what percentage of the industry is still running paper logs and running just like they always have and, and still getting the job done. So we've got another log jam coming in April. So some of these, some of these headlines that I've seen about, oh, food prices are going to go. I just thought it was hype and melodrama, but now I'm like – Dude, they might be right. You know, it's not a capacity shortage per se. We've got enough trucks to run the freight, but the trucks don't have enough time legally to run the freight the way they've always run it. So now stuff's backing up, and 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 so the drain is slowing down, and it's getting clogged, and 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 so now shippers are begging for trucks because. You know, it's just a constant backup. You know, this guy gets held up a day, which holds that up a day, which holds that up a day, and it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. And we haven't even really hit the crisis point yet. So, you know, I, I'm not a I'm not a doom and gloom guy, um, and and I generally don't buy into hype of stuff. But April could get ugly, you know, as far as consumer prices are concerned, because I mean we're literally seeing uh, shipping rates double. You know, there was a story the other day about Nogales, Arizona, like, you know, 40, what, 35 and 40 percent increases in freight rates. And they're still not getting the trucks that they need to carry the produce. Um, so, I, you know, and, and I don't know what what is there for the individual to do, you know. I, run freight. It's all you can do. I mean, but this this will be it's. It's kind of the perfect storm in a way because we've got blockchain coming online. And when that does, that will correct, you know, a lot of this stuff because it will allocate the capacity where it needs to be and keep capacity away from where it doesn't need to be. So, you know, it's it's really kind of fascinating how all of these things are happening at the same time where we've got this blockchain technology coming on that's going to streamline the industry like it's never been streamlined and it's coming at the time when we've got this giant log jam of of capacity you know and and I still don't believe there's a driver shortage I think that's garbage uh, but we do have a capacity crisis in a way because the, the trucks just can't get the job done like they used to so we're going to have to watch that kind of see where it's going but you know, I would say now is the time. If if you've ever thought about, you know, getting in and making that jump uh, to, to be an owner-operator and to jump onto this thing, you know, it, the amount of money floating around 
will uh, decrease the risk. But it still comes back to attitude, work ethic, uh, some common sense. You know, you, you've got to be able to think on your feet, um, and you've got to be a saver. If you're not a saver, I'm not. You know, hi, my name's Chris, and, and I'm an idiot. Um, you know, if you're not kind of a natural saver, you got to be you got to be careful because you know it can get your can get your butt in a sling in a hurry. Um, you know, because that's kind of my problem. Not a natural saver, and then go into this this business where this this giant, you know, eight, ten, twelve thousand dollar a month cash flow. Well, you know, there's that Dave Ramsey line: if you don't tell it where to go, it's going to leave. So, uh, wanted to put that out there about perspective. Um, you know, I'm still deciding what direction I'm going to go, you know, um, and uh, my wife and I just had to talk about it last night. So it's, uh, it's, it's a fascinating and exciting time to be in trucking. There's, there's a lot of cool stuff happening right now. So we've just got to keep our wits about us and, uh, and, and take care. I'm going to, I'm working on finding somebody to come on here and talk about factoring that I know that I've never dealt personally with factoring. I know a little bit about it. I know basically what it is. Uh, but I know it's kind of a love hate subject. People, you know, think factoring companies are the devil and, you know, and some people use it as a part of their business plan. So I want to get somebody on here to talk about that. Uh, so we can just kind of really understand, you know, how factoring can be used to your advantage and, and, and how to keep yourself out of trouble, you know, because it's basically a way to, you know, to get paid faster. Um, but I know there's there's a lot of pitfalls, and you got to be careful navigating your way through that. So that's it for this episode. We'll be back next weekend with episode 23, and we'll see you next time.